um, who engages in any form of public speaking uh, this week illustrated the perils involved in public speaking. Theresa May had to battle on through a heckler. Uh, if, you ha if you're about to heckle, just go now. Let's, let's move on beyond that. Um, through a coughing fit and then through the indignity of, these, uh, of this message behind her, the letters gradually dropping to the floor. Now, why bother listening to her through all of that? Well, because of the fact that she is the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Um, she has the top job in politics. The Queen grants her the authority to uh, form a government, to propose legislation if it's voted through Parliament, that will actually affect all the citizens of this, of this kingdom. And such is the nature of politics, though, of course, that the, you know, within hours of that speech, people were plotting to oust her as the leader of the party. And uh, the, it, when the day comes where Theresa May stops being the Prime Minister, we'll pay as much attention to her as we do to David Cameron or Tony Blair. Now, why bother listening to Jesus? Why bother listening to Jesus today? It's over 2,000 years since he uh, walked around the nation of Israel. So why pay any attention to him? Well, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. And you'll find that on page 1,201 in the church Bibles. Page 1,201. The author of this letter wants to give his readers some powerful reasons why they should listen to Jesus. Of why they should base their whole lives on this Jesus and what he says. Uh, I'm going to read from the start of the letter. We did cover a, a few verses last week, but I want to read the whole context. And as I do, I want you to notice, um, and you can count them off in your mind as we do it, seven facts about Jesus and seven quotes uh, from the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, that back up those facts, all there to give us powerful reasons why today we should be listening to Jesus. Okay, let's read from Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So, he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. 
And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits? sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape? if we ignore so great a salvation. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is God's word. Now, last week, uh, we thought about the seven facts about Jesus that the author lays out in the opening letter. But I think it's worth us kind of uh, going back and reminding ourselves of those seven facts, because they're quite germane to the application. Uh, Basically, the reading we've just had has got seven facts about Jesus, seven quotes from the Old Testament, and one huge big application. That's where we're heading this morning. So let's remind ourselves of the seven facts uh, about Jesus. Firstly, he is the heir of all things, verse 2. Everything belongs to him. Now, I don't know what you expect to inherit from your parents, or perhaps what what you did inherit. Uh, I was reading uh, this week that Jerry Lewis, the comedian who died recently, uh, apparently left nothing to the children of his first marriage because he was so unhappy with them. But the God who created all things who has revealed himself through the prophets and supremely through the Son, he is determined that his Son should inherit everything. Now, we often pay attention to people who have a lot of stuff. You know, Mr. Dyson, who uh, gave us uh, uh, something to suck our homes, has apparently got more land in England than uh, the Queen. And we pay attention to what he has to say or what Mr. Bill Gates has to say or what Mr. Elon Musk has to say then how much more should you pay attention to the one who's not going to just inherit a few countries, uh, but everything, the whole planet, 
and the whole cosmos itself. That's what it says. He's the heir of all things. Secondly, he's the agent of creation. So the Hebrew scriptures, our, our Old Testament, tell us that God created everything through his word and by his wisdom. And as we read the New Testament, we discover that the, his word and wisdom are personified in Jesus, the Son. That, that he is the agent through whom everything was created. The beginning of John's gospel starts in this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. My wife bought a fancy bit of uh, kitchen equipment this week, uh, sort of a super-duper pressure cooker. Uh, it tells me that I can, um, it can make meals in record time. Uh, it can make yogurt, and apparently it makes brilliant rice. So I saw it sitting, she bought it this week, I came home, she was, she was at work, she was driving home, I thought, let's give the rice a go. So I phoned her up in the car, uh, Shona, uh, I want to make some rice in the super duper thing, uh, what do I do? Read the maker's instructions, came the reply. But it, it was so long, I couldn't be bothered, so I just did stuff. But, you know, it, if that's the case for making a minor appliance work, that you read the maker's instructions, how much more should we pay attention to the maker of all things if we want to know how to live life in his world? And why are we surprised if we pay no attention to him uh, if, if we sort of mess things up in our lives? Thirdly, he is God made visible. Verse 3, uh, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So what it's saying is that Jesus is the, is the portrait, he's the picture of the invisible God. The invisible God has been made visible in his Son. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Um, and as you cannot really have anyone more important to know in the universe than God himself, then the most important person to pay attention to is the Son. God made visible. Fourthly, he sustains all things by his powerful word, verse 3. Now think about all that's happening in the universe right now. Galaxies spinning through space. Stars are even being formed in nebula right now. And just think about all that's happening on the planet, not just the uh, events of history, but just think about all that's going on with tides and winds and um, animal life and plant life around the world. And, and the writer of the Hebrews wants us to know that all of this is happening because Jesus is sustaining it. God the Son. And he does it by his powerful words. And we see this as we look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels. His words were not just ones that instruct us, that teach us, that reveal things about God. His words had power. He could speak and lame people would, would uh, pick up their mats and walk. He could stand in the middle of a sea storm that was threatening to kill their lives and with a word he could make it go quiet. This is the power of Jesus' word and he sustains all things by his powerful word. I want to suggest to you, if you're dealing with the one who sustains all things by his powerful word, you should really pay attention to what he has to say. Fifthly, he provided forgiveness for our sins. Verse 3. He is the one who, who makes eternal salvation possible. Our sinful words, our sinful thoughts, our sinful actions uh, separate us from our holy God. Put us under his just judgment and punishment. The Bible describes that, that we deserve hell. But God in his grace came to make a way by sending his son so that we could be forgiven 
and we could be saved from hell to heaven because his very own son would bear hell in his own body on the cross. He can come and take uh, immoral, dirty sinners and wash us clean and make us pure and make us right with God and make us fit for heaven. He provided purification for our sins. This is the one we should listen to. We should pay the most careful attention to the one who says from the cross, it is finished, the job is done. Sixthly, he sits at God's right hand, verse three. So having completed the sacrifice for our sins in his death, the writer of the Hebrews, uh, more often than not, doesn't talk about the resurrection. He does at the end of the book, but more often than not, he, he presumes the resurrection and skips ahead about what happened after the resurrection, that he ascended to God's right hand, he's exalted in the heavens, and he's seated at the right heavenly place. So the, 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 the picture that, um, that the Hebrews more often points us to is having completed his work of uh, dying on the cross and resurrected, he applies the benefits of his sacrifice in the heavenly realms, and he sits at God's right hand. He's exalted. And he sits there, uh, the, the, the right hand is the hand of power, isn't it? I'm sorry for your lefties, but it is. Uh, the right hand is the powerful hand, unless you're left-handed, of course, you know, but there we are. But in, in Hebrew thought, the right hand is the place of power, a place of authority, and he's sitting there at God's right hand. He is ruling and reigning in heaven with God, as God. And so again, this is why we ought to listen to Jesus. For he not only has the power, but he has the legitimate right and authority to rule over all things. And then the seventh fact in verse 4, he is superior to the angels. Now my guess is that most of us are sitting here and we're quite surprised about this fact. That you would even have to make this fact. Uh, because we don't often talk or think about angels. But the Bible does tell us a lot of things about angels. That when God created everything... He first, the first thing he created were these personal supernatural beings. God tells Job at the end of uh, the book of Job that the angels sang for joy as they witnessed him create the universe. And angels are described as God's servants, his active agents and messengers in the, in the world. They, they worship God. Uh, there are loads of them. Read, read in the book of Revelation. There are countless uh, numbers of these angels they're invisible to us, but they can take on visible human form. They're powerful. One angel, one night around Jerusalem, kind of basically wiped out the Assyrian army. That's just one angel. I wouldn't make fun of angels. And, and actually, angels sort of kind of demarcate the order of personal beings in the universe. Because basically, above angels is God. Below angels are humans. That's kind of the personal beings in the universe. And so this writer gives these facts about Jesus and he finishes it with, with this conclusion, kind of builds this conclusion that for all these reasons, Jesus is as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to this. And this is such a significant point for him, he then gives us seven Old Testament quotes, seven quotes from the Hebrew Scriptures to back up all that he said. Now, what's the big deal about angels? Who cares about angels? Why this stuff about angels? Well, 
you know, actually, it's interesting as you go to uh, bookshops today and go to the New Age section, there's, there's countless books about angels. There's endless fascination today about angels and angelic beings. So are these Hebrew Christians kind of onto some weird sort of worship of angels trip? No, there's absolutely no indication of that at all. So why all the mention of angels? And I think the point is this. It is a contrast between the message that the angels brought and the message that the Son brought. This is about revelation. This is about the place of Jesus in revelation. What was the message revealed by angels? Well, the Bible tells us that the angels were the agent uh, through whom God's covenant message to Moses was brought to the people of Israel. Now, we kind of skip past this. Uh, I, I think this is a bit of our theology that we often, uh, it doesn't quite penetrate, but uh, if you go back to read Exodus chapter three, don't do it right now, but you will see of how it speaks of an angel of the Lord appearing to Moses in the burning bush. And in fact, the burning bush is the fiery angel. This may surprise you. Go back and read it. You'll see that's the case. And that actually it's this fiery angel in the bush that is the agent through which God speaks to Moses and calls him to this great task of going back to Egypt, telling Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go, and leading them out, leading them to Sinai. And again, when you get to Acts chapter 7, you've got Stephen, uh, the, the disciple, and he's standing before the Jewish leaders, and they're, uh, they're pretty much minded to kill him. And you've got this speech, and in the speech, he kind of recounts the history of Israel. And this is how he describes what took place as um, the people of Israel rescued out of Egypt, gathered around Mount Sinai, he describes, of, 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 speaks of an angel who spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai as the agent through which God passed on his living words, the ten words of God. See, what was the message that the angels brought? It was the Old Testament covenant message. That's what they brought. So why this fixation about comparing angels to to Jesus. Well, it's about the nature of this revelation. There's a message that they brought and there's the message that the Son brought. It helps us to kind of get a, a grasp of the whole letter. Why is this letter written? It, it's written to Christians uh, in the first century, many of whom had come from a Jewish background. Now, Judaism in the first century under the Roman Empire was an accepted religion. It was a tolerated religion. You could be a Jew, go to a synagogue in the, in the, in the first century of Rome, and no one would, would persecute you, no one would give you any problems. Um, it was accepted and tolerated, but the Christian faith was not. The Christian faith was seen as something new, a novel. And at different times, under, under different seasons, Christians faced, at times, severe persecution for their faith. And so as the writer to the Hebrews writes these Christians, he knows that they are tempted because they are feeling the white heat of persecution on them. They, they've, they've, some of them experienced prison. Some of them had their stuff confiscated. There's pressure coming on them for, 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 for being Christians and, and listening to Jesus to go back to Judaism, to go back to the safety of uh, the synagogue where they'll be fine. 
to go back and basically submit their lives under the old covenant message given to Moses through the angels. And that's why the writer goes to such lengths to show us how superior the Son is over the angels. So that they will not drift away from the salvation that was declared by God's Son. See, the Hebrew Scriptures are kind of like the signpost that points to the destination that is the Son. And he's writing to, to urge them not to drift away from, this, uh, uh, from the destination and go back to the signpost. Imagine how odd it would be to have arrived at the zoo where you could actually see a real panda. And actually all you do is you basically start wandering down the street following the bus with a picture of the panda that's advertising the pandas. That would be terribly odd. To go for the signpost rather than going for the reality. That's what they're in danger of doing. And so knowing the temptation that they are facing to avoid the difficulties, avoid the persecution of standing up, uh, to, 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 uh, of being Christians, he wants them to see how utterly superior Jesus is, the Son is, over the Old Testament covenant. He is uh, as superior as the name he has inherited is superior to the angels, he says. And then he kind of backs up his case with seven quotes from the Old Testament. Now, you really could do a sermon on every single quote. We're not going to do that. So hold your hats. We're going to rush through them. Quote number one, Psalm 2. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. This is a, this is a psalm that is a statement to God's Messiah King in Psalm 2. Uh, and you can read Psalm 2. You can see how the nations opposed uh, God and his king. Uh, oppose God and God says I have installed my king in Zion and it's useless to rebel against God God laughs at it it's like ants saying they're going to take you on as a human being one foot down it's all over it's derisory to take on God but God says I've installed my king and he will be my son and I will be his father and uh, here is uh, a psalm which never made sense for the kings of Israel. They never lived up to that reality until Jesus. And here is God declaring through this public announcement of Jesus, you are my son, today I have become your father. Now to which of the angels did God ever say that? Answer, none, no one. Second quote from Second Samuel 7. Again, a promise made from Nathan the prophet to King David that from his descendants will become an everlasting king. Again, the real disappointment every time the descendants of David kept dying until there was one who rose from the dead. All of this points to Jesus. Third quote, verse six. And it's taken from the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. Let all God's angels worship him. Now here's the difference between angels and the sun. What's the job of angels to do? to fall on their faces before Jesus and worship him. That's the job of the angels, to worship the Son. And that language of firstborn, uh, don't be distracted by that. It's not suggesting that Jesus was created. It's more about the first bit than the born bit. Uh, of course, it was the right and privilege in, in, in ancient times of the, uh, the firstborn son to inherit everything from the Father. And here's the point, we've already read it. Here is the heir of all things. 
Fourth quote, Psalm 104. A description of the angels as part of the creation who are there to serve God. He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. Remember that angel in the burning bush, the flaming angel. It'd be pretty scary to see a flaming angel, I reckon. Fifth quote from Psalm 45. In contrast to the angels who are called servants, look at how God addresses his son in this psalm. Your throne, O God. Now this is quite a thing. Quite a thing that the Hebrew scriptures maintain this. But here is a, a psalm addressed to uh, the king, the human king, and yet it says, Your throne, O God, will last forever. The angels serve God. The Son is the king addressed as God, the one to be served. You know, and if you're weighing up today whether to put your trust in Jesus, look at, the, the, look at who is inviting you to um, submit your life under. He's, uh, he's a, he, he has an eternal kingdom. Your throne will last forever. He is the one who's conquered death and gives eternal life. His throne will last forever. To enter his kingdom is to enter into eternal life. Um, he is the, the just and righteous king. The scepter of your justice will be the scepter of your kingdom, verse 8. He is a king who loves righteousness, who hates wickedness. He is a joyful king who is anointed with the oil of joy. An awesome, authoritative king who is full of joy. Who wouldn't want to hang out? with this king. Sixth quote from Psalm 102. Everything was created by the Lord. Again, the Son is referred to as the Lord who creates everything. In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. And you know, one day it says that the earth's gonna kind of wear out. The physicists will tell you that. Everything's going entropy. Everything's declining to, uh, to, to no energy. And... Uh, it's going to be like a, a shabby old raincoat. That the, the Lord who made it will one day wrap it up like an old raincoat ready to sort of take it and throw it in the bin. That's what the creation is going to be like. But actually, uh, he is the one who lasts forever and ever. You remain the same, verse 12. And your years will never end. Jesus the same, yesterday, today, and forever. That's why you should listen to the Son. And the seventh quote is the final one from Psalm 110. And in some ways, the whole of the letter of the Hebrews is almost an exposition of this psalm. We're going to keep coming back to it. Again, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Answer, none. Again, this is a, a, a psalm uh, about the Davidic king, a Messiah who's going to come. And God's going to give him this exalted status to sit at his right hand. Don't be an enemy of this king because basically all you're going to be is a footstool. God says everything's going to go under his feet. Well, did the angels, did God ever say that to the angels? No, he didn't. But he says it to this human king who now risen from the dead, we know, is Jesus Christ. God has never said that to an angel. He only said it through the Son. Do you see the most comprehensive contrast going on between the angels and their mediating role and Jesus and his mediating role? And guess what? Jesus tops them in every single way. He's totally superior. He is incomparable. 
Remember how angels demarcate personal beings? Below angels, humans. Above angels, God. That's who we're dealing with, with Jesus. And with seven quotes, we get this sevenfold underlying of the greatness of Jesus. Now, what's the point of all this comparison? If, because it's starting to get too hot. I think the heating went on too early, don't you think? It's a bit stuffy in here. Here's the point. It's there in chapter 2. Verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Verse 2. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment... I'm reading through Jeremiah at the moment and it lays out the blessings of being under the old covenant and doing what God says and the terrible curses if you go against God's judgment. And it's quite clear if they keep persisting against uh, disobeying God, being unfaithful to God, disobeying his word, they're going to miss out on all the blessings. They're going to get kicked out of the land. The temple's going to be destroyed. They're going to be dispersed among the nations as if nothing ever happened with Israel. And that's what happened. It was serious to, to break the Old Testament covenant So every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? A salvation that was not spoken through angels, but through the Son, first announced by the Lord. A message confirmed to us by those who heard him, the apostles. God having testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Spirit, they distributed according to his will. Do you see here that there's a very real warning? Uh, The writer at the end of the book describes this letter as a brief letter of exhortation. And there's a number of exhortations within it. Here's the first big one. There is a real danger of drifting away from Jesus so that we do not drift away. Totally serious to, to ignore the message of Moses How will we be saved? How can we escape if we ignore the message of the Son? If we ignore the good news of the gospel, where God came in human flesh to declare the good news of how we can be saved? What hope is there if we drift away from the only Savior who's got the only message of salvation? There's no hope, is there, to drift away from Him? Let's say you go to the doctor and He's got your test results, and he's looking not very humorous as you come in the door. And he's got a very serious look on his face, and he tells you, uh, I've, the condition you've got will kill you, and I think you've only got a few weeks. And as the message sinks, and you're thinking about all the things that that means, he says, but you know what? There is one cure. What? There's a cure. And if you keep taking this medicine, uh, it will counteract this disease and it will not kill you. You'll be saved. Well, that's great news, isn't it? But it's only great news if you take the medicine. It's only great news if you keep taking that medicine. There's no other cure. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, today is the day to start listening to Jesus. 
Jesus said to his critics in his day, the Jewish scholars, you eagerly uh, study the scriptures because you think in them that they may have life. These are the very scriptures that speak about me and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Will you listen to Jesus today and come to him to receive forgiveness and life? Today, you can know you're right with God. Today, you can be made pure. Today, all the mess of the past can be forgiven. All the shame and guilt removed. Today, you can have peace with God if you will come to Christ and say sorry for your sins. Thank him for all that he's done for you in coming through his son to die on a cross in your place and asking him to forgive you. Ask him to change you so that you will live with him as the Lord, the King, that he is. And for those of us who are Christians today, this is primarily directed towards us. I take it that there's a real threat and danger if scripture warns us of drifting away from Jesus. Notice the language. More often than not, um, it's not there'll be a sudden moment and you say, well, that's it. I'm not a Christian anymore. Now we slowly start drifting away like a, like a boat where the rope has snapped and it's just bobbing away in the harbor out to the open sea. The danger of drifting away from Christ. Now, remember how utterly serious that is. It is to drift away from the only one who can save us. The only means of salvation. If we stop being connected to him, there is no hope. How do you avoid drifting? Notice with me, it's more than listening. It's more than, you know, I mean, I don't know whether you've had this experience. Uh, it happens occasionally in our house. If there's a really good rugby game on, right? I'm, I love the rugby. And uh, Scarlet's managed to beat the Ospreys, but that's, not, that's another issue. But uh, I was watching the rugby, and my wife says to me, she starts talking to me. And what I try and do is I try and fake I'm listening. I make noises. Yes. Mmm. Mmm. Yes. Because I'm just paying attention to the rugby. Yeah. Mmm. And I'm just hoping my noises are appropriate. But she quickly catches on and she says, you're not listening to me. We get so distracted, don't we? Young people, I mean, who do you listen to? What are you spending most of your time listening to? Is it YouTube clips about funny cats? Listening to music? I don't know what grown-ups listen to. I'm waiting to become a grown-up. I don't know whether you listen to the news a lot. I, I guess I listen to the news. Is, is it Hugh Edwards you always listen to? That lovely Hugh. Do you just listen to what Hugh has to say? Very depressing if that's all you listen to, by the way. Who are you listening to? We fill our ears with so much podcasts and music and movies and Netflix and social media and we fill our ears with so much stuff. There's so many distractions. We need to do more than just listen. It says we need to pay attention. Actually, it's more than that. We need to pay the most careful attention. 
to what we have heard. This sort of listening, this paying the most careful attention is a sort of listening that really hears what is said and believes it and grabs hold of it and it changes and transforms your life. You know, as the boat is bobbing out of the harbor and someone throws you uh, the rope and says, hold on to this, that's the sort of listening that you need to do. The sort of listening that listens to the man, grabs the rope and hangs on to it because you're not, otherwise you're going to drift away. We must pay the most careful attention. Now my question is this, are we listening to God? Are we listening to Jesus? If people observed our life, would they say, well, here are people who are paying the most careful attention to what Jesus has to say. Is that true of us? To walk with Jesus day by day means at the very least, I'm gonna spend time every day listening to what he has to say. Uh, do, we, do we make it a priority to hear the Bible read and preached? Is it a priority to come where you're gonna hear that? Do we make the most of every opportunity we have to study it with other Christians? Sign up for growth groups if you don't. Do we make this space day by day just to stop and read and listen to what God has to say to us about Jesus through his words? Times where we're not going to be distracted by other things. I don't know, what are the sort of things that help you pay the most careful attention? Whatever those things are, do them with the Bible. Um, for the Sunday school who came up recently to church, and it's great to have you all here, uh, we provided sermon sheets out there so you can take some notes. And we've discovered that some of the adults like those notes, and you can, if anyone can take them. I don't know about you, but if I just hear something and don't write it down, I'm very unlikely to remember it. And so when I hear something really important as I read the Bible, if a, if a verse really grabs me, I try and write it down. I try and either tweet it, because it'll be on my Twitter account, or, I, or I, I write it. I've got a little book of really important things that I've, God has taught me through his word, and I periodically take that out and review it. Remember the lessons. Remember, oh yeah, I, 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 that, I forgot that, didn't I? Why did I make the same mistake? I, he taught me that before. What is it that you do to pay the most careful attention to things so you really get it, you really grab onto it? Do that with God's words. And if he tells you something from his word, if you read it and, 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 and it speaks to something specifically in your life, write it down and pray it back to God. Pray it into your life. And ask him, how can you apply it what can you do specifically that week in line with what God has said to you? Think about how to apply it and then ask God to give you the strength and grace to do it. That's what it means to pay the most careful attention to what the Son says. My friends, there will be people here today and you are drifting. I bump into people who once came here who once had great joy in their gospel, they're not here anymore. They're not coming anymore. They drifted away. My friends, there are some of you, you're thinking about drifting. You're not paying that much attention to Jesus. Pay attention to Jesus. Listen to him. 
Consider his greatness. He's greater than the angels. Of course he is. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you'd help us to pay the most careful attention to your Son, that we may listen with faith and obedience, and that we would not neglect such a great salvation. We ask this with great thanksgiving for all that you've done for us through your Son. In his name, amen.